Thanks for joining us here in Centralia, Illinois, where we are a community of people who are not perfect and don't pretend to be. Our hope and prayer is that through the following message, you are encouraged, blessed, and inspired to meet the Lord in a powerful way. The following is intended only for mature audiences. Viewer discretion advised. Parental advisory. So if you don't want to answer questions you don't want asked, you know what to do. Well, you know what? It has been a hot week. Summer is officially here. Thank you guys that went to Vegas and brought back the unbearably hot temperatures. We appreciate that. Thank you for leaving the 100-plus temperatures out west. So this taboo series, um, in week number one, I talked about the topic of depression and how that there is a myth, and really it's a lie, that um, Christians don't get depressed. And the truth of the matter is Christians get depressed. There are multiple examples throughout Scripture of people who um, follow Christ and they experience depression in their lives. Then last week, I talked to you about the concept of assault, and and I went into physical, mental, but I really spoke about sexual assault, and all three of these, um, the same rules apply. These aren't just sins. These are crimes, and and they exist in the church. I know we're a Baptist church, and I didn't pick on the Catholic church. I talked about Baptist churches because we have sin in our midst, Uh, We have sin in this church. We have sin across our nation. And um, we have been guilty of not uh, applying and and going after that the way that that God calls us to. Well, this week I've uh, changed gears a little bit. And um, so here's what I want you to know with this topic of uh, uh, taboo. And that is, number one, that this is not about good people versus bad people. We are all on the same team. We are all sinners in need of a Savior. And so today I want to address the topic of sex and give you a biblical perspective on exactly what the Bible says when it comes to this topic. And I want you to understand this. God is not a prude and sex is not dirty, even though it is not something that we talk about. And certainly most preachers uh, don't get up here and speak about But what God has designed is something that is precious, something that is incredible. The world has tarnished. And that is the way that sin happens. Sin is nothing more than right at the wrong time, right in the wrong place, and right with the wrong person. Satan did that in the garden um, with Eve. He took God's words and he just twisted them. And so what I want to do is I want to untwist what the world has been twisting, and I want to hopefully speak to you in such a way that it gives you freedom, and you realize that there is freedom on this topic if we'll listen to God's instructions. Now, I don't know if you all are like me, but you may have in your vehicle an owner's manual that's pretty thick like this. Um, uh, Here's the reality. I've I've been driving my truck for five years. Um, I've got the big, thick manual, and I have only opened it up one time. Now, I know I'm a guy. All right, guys. Matter of fact, I saw a meme on uh, Facebook. It said that owner manuals used to teach us how to change valves or, or tighten up valves and adjust them, and now it tells us not to drink the, uh, the fluid in the battery. All right. Um, but here's what I want you to understand is that there is... They put this manual together for a reason. There's instructions. Matter of fact, um, you wouldn't open this up and and, and where it says put oil into this um, opening, you wouldn't say, you know what, I I know better. I'm going to put transmission fluid in there. You, You could do that, but it would come at a price. And and so I'm not going to talk to you about this uh, owner's manual. I'm going to talk to you about this owner's manual. Because this is the owner's manual on the topic of sex. But the reality is this, that there are many people who have said, you know what, I'm not going to do what it says here. I'm going to put transmission fluid in the oil container. I'm going to put oil in the radiator. I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. You know what, it's not killing me. 
And what I want you to understand is it is. And I want to show you that. And when I talk about this owner's manual, I want you to understand that I'm going to use the whole counsel of Scripture. You know, it is so easy for us as Christians, as Christ followers, to take one verse and, and, and try to apply our entire worldview around that one verse. And, and you know what? That probably is good to an extent. But if you've been around me long enough to know, I'll tell you this, that any strength out of balance becomes a weakness. And when we do that with God's word and we don't take the whole counsel of Scripture and we don't look at it from all the different viewpoints that Scripture gives us on that, we're going to ultimately make a mistake. And, and this mistake will be tragic. The book that I hold here is not just an old book. It is an eternal book. And because it's an eternal book, it is a timeless book. And because this book is timeless, it's timely. It's relevant to 2021. Don't you dare think that because this was written thousands of years ago that it's not relevant to your life. This book is timeless. It was relevant the day it was written. It will be relevant for eternity and beyond. The question is, will we open up and follow the owner's manual? Well, it's hard because we live in a hypersexualized culture. What do I mean by that? Well, by the numbers, there is $90 billion annually that is made on sex. 90% of your children are exposed to it when they turn on the TV. They don't have to go to the internet and watch the worst of it. Just turn on a television show. Sex sells, and every, just about every commercial has it. I don't know how Hardee's can bring those ladies into their commercials and think that that somehow makes their burgers better, but you know what they learned? They learned that people buy their burgers. They talk about their store because of the commercials that they pay for. The average age of the first-time viewer of porn is 11 years old. And, and folks, don't think that your child is the abnormality. Just because you don't want to have the talk about sex doesn't mean your kids don't already know and haven't already found out. The top consumer group of porn in America is 12 to 17-year-old boys. 60% of teenagers are active sexually, and the number one day for viewing porn is Sunday. During the week, the top viewing time is 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. while they're at work. So to be just and to be fair to you on this topic, let me start off with um, what everybody's dying to know, and that is what does the Bible say about sex, but particularly what does the Bible say um, not to do about sex? So let me start off with the forbidden sexual acts. You have, if you have your uh, note taker, I would encourage you, you'll see there are a lot of scriptures under each one of those. I put those there just so you would see the whole counsel of scripture and realize it's not one verse. And, and don't listen to what the commentator on CNN tells you. Don't listen to what the pundit that has a blog tells you. Don't listen to what some podcast tells you. Turn to God's scripture and listen to what he says and how he says it. And let me also point this out. The reason why God commanded us not to do these certain things is not because he's trying to keep us from something good. Contrary. It's because he knows that destruction awaits those who practice these things that I'm about to mention. The first one is pagan sexual activity. Did you realize that um, there are literally throughout history, and even today, the church is not exempt from this topic and not exempt from people abusing it? There were churches literally in the days of Jesus, in the days of Paul, that had shrines, and, and we would call them um, houses of prostitution. They called them uh, worship places. And people would go and join that religion because it allowed them to fulfill their desires. 
just because it's associated with the church doesn't make it okay. I shared with you last week how that uh, it, one of Ravi Zacharias's victims testified that he would pray with her, thanking God that they were uh, going to partake in this wicked sexual activity. See, it's, it's not just because you're in church or just because you're around church people doesn't make us free from it. We're, we're humans. And this is one of the strongest desires that we have as humans. And the enemy knows that, and he's taken that, and he's allowed it to abuse it in our lives, abuse it in our family's lives, and he has not granted the church a free pass on this. The second forbidden sexual activity is rape. Last week, I read to you a story about Amnon and Tamar and how that here was a son of the king who raped his sister. It's obvious. Rape is wrong. It's a crime. Shouldn't happen. But it does. The next sexual activity that has been forbidden by Scripture is incest, having sexual relations with a family member. I remember one of my pastors told me that incest was the sexual sin of the future. That was in 1987. Those who view pornography know that is one of the most searched after is mother to son, fathers and daughters. It's not just make-believe, folks. It's perverted. It's wrong. And don't think that you can look at that stuff and it not affect your heart. The next forbidden activity is bestiality. I told you that, that was, there was a couple in the church that I grew up in, that the husband and wife were a part of that. What I didn't share with you was that that wife had serious mental health issues. The whole church knew about the serious mental health issues, but they didn't know why she had those issues. And she had them because she had a husband who forced her to do things that ought not to be done. The next forbidden sexual activity by Scripture is prostitution. I know the world says that it's the world's oldest profession. Apparently, they haven't read the Bible because the first profession I saw was a farmer. But I guess they probably don't use this owner's manual when they come up with that stuff. Or you may say, well, I have an objection to that. Times have changed. It's legal out in Nevada. You know what? I don't care if it's legal in all 50 states. It's not right. It'll never be right. You know, there's a, a saying out there is that you cannot legislate morality. You know, I don't know. What, you know who says that is people who don't want their morality legislated. The, the, the reason why we have laws is so that the lawbreaker understands they're doing something they shouldn't do. And just because the culture has gotten so corrupt that they've said, well, we're okay with that, doesn't make it okay. The next forbidden activity is homosexuality. Boy, the church did a horrible job addressing this sin and is still struggling with it. I said this when I was 20 years old, that we need to start hating all sexual sin the way that we hate homosexuality. See, I could preach against homosexuality, and I get more amens than any other topic in just about any church in America. When I start talking about some of these other ones, it's going to get real quiet. You may say, I have an objection to that. I read where a blogger said that Jesus was silent on homosexuality. He didn't talk about nuclear bombs either. Acts 
As a rabbi, Jesus did not argue the obvious. What he argued was where people were taking the law and perverting it, and he was straightening it back out. The, you can go and you can read every study. Nobody can study this owner's manual and walk away with the belief that homosexuality in any form is endorsed. But you got to read the owner's manual. You got to read the whole counsel of Scripture. And I'm going to introduce you to the concept that it's not just sex, it's a religion. In the church, when you get saved, what's the next step? You can, yeah, say it well. Baptism, that's right. As a matter of fact, next week we're going to have some more baptisms. Come on. In the world, in the homosexual communities, they don't have baptisms. They come out of the closet. That's their public declaration that this is who I am. And what Satan has done is he's taken what we used in the church and perverted it and twisted it. The next forbidden activity is adultery. Right? With the wrong person. And you may say, I have an objection to that. God is tolerant. Well, I'm going to introduce you that when it comes to the wrath of God, there's a passive wrath of God and there's an active wrath of God. 50% of all married men have committed adultery. And over one-third of all married women have committed adultery. Just because they've done that doesn't make it right. The next forbidden activity is polygamy. Folks, this is the sexual sin of the future. We are trying to redefine everything in relation to sex in our culture. And here's what I want you to know. They are going to tell you that it's okay for moms and sons and fathers and daughters. They're going to tell you that it's okay for a, a husband or a wife to have multiple married partners. Well, see, putting it back into the sanctity of the church and getting the endorsement of the church. And it won't be too long before they tell you that the age isn't 21 or 18 or 16 or 14 or 12 or 11. Maybe you say, I've got an objection to that. It's in the Bible. David himself had multiple wives. Let me just, I would ask you to do this. Study. The Bible says study to show yourself a workman approved. I want you to study every family that, was, that there was a polygamous relationship and, and tell me how that turned out. The problem over in the Middle East is because of what Abraham did. He didn't wait on God. He tried to do it his way instead of God's way. And today, the world is in upheaval because of it. Folks, just because it's in the Bible doesn't make it right. What it tells you to do is study the rest of it and look at what happened. You know, if you've been around me long enough, I believe that David was born out of a a relationship where his father either was an adulteress or was with a prostitute. His great-grandfather had done that, and I believe that Jesse did it likewise. There is no other explanation. Why would he bring all of the sons except the youngest son? Why not just bring the oldest son if that's the way it's going to go? He kept him out with the shepherds for a reason. He wasn't really part of the family. Why? Because Jesse had something to hide, I believe. And see, the, the sins of the father visit into the third generation. And so David, it wasn't long, and he found Bathsheba. And I believe it was because of that relationship with Bathsheba that Amnon even thought about raping his sister. If David could get away with it, I can get away with it. The next forbidden activity by sexual activity in Scripture is fornication. 
I know the objection is sex is inevitable. Come on, Ronnie, it's 2021. You know what? I'm an old enough guy to figure that out. I've known that for about six months now. I spent 10 months praying for 2021. But here's what I want you to understand. Cohabitation is not practicing for marriage. It's practicing for divorce. When couples live together, what they're saying is, I'm not really committed to you. See, that's what happens when we get married. We make a commitment. We, we take a vow. We sign a contract. And just because everybody else is doing it doesn't make it right. 50% of those that are unmarried and sexually active have STDs. That's not something you put on your Facebook page. But the reality is they're walking around and most won't even go get tested because they don't want to know. Because they'll feel guilty if they know and they continue to do what they know they're going to do even if they know. The last forbidden activity is sexual immorality. It comes from the Greek word porneia. It's where we get the term pornography. Matter of fact, if you were doing a checklist and, and I got through a bunch of those names and you're like, whoo, I'm doing pretty good. I, I would dare say that every one of us in this room have violated this one here. Jesus said that it's not just to commit adultery, but if you think lustfully in your heart about another woman. It is 2021. It's not just the guys, ladies. Maybe your objection is that God made me this way. You know what? You're right. God made you that way, but you've made some decisions that's brought you to the point that you live a life that you're living now. Why don't you grow up and own that? Why don't you take responsibility for your decisions instead of blaming God? Why don't you read the owner's manual and just follow it? I'll bet it'll turn out differently. You see, sex is centered in your mind, not on your organs, men. You are not a victim of your hormones. You each have the ability to change the way you think about this topic. I get it. I told you that we live in a hypersexualized culture. It's on every commercial. It's every time you log on. Today, you have access to far more nefarious stuff than we dreamed of when we were 9 and 10 and 11 years old. We thought that it was, we were getting away with it when we were sneaking to the back of the gas station, to the magazine rack, and sliding a little plastic thing over a little bit. And today, your kids are stumbling across it on YouTube. We're not victims, folks. So let me share with you three views on sex that every one of us has one of these three views. And the first view is this, that sex is God. When it comes to sex, men, sex stimulates our emotions. Ladies, listen up. If you wanna have a deep conversation with your husband, the best time is after adult activities. But here's the, the problem. For women, the emotions stimulate their desire for sex. And so the guys are coming at it from the wrong direction, and the ladies are coming at it from a different direction. And but by the grace of God, so there is a worldview out there that sex is God. They don't proclaim this. They don't have any churches that say that. There's no literature, but our actions show it. Sexual immorality is idolatry. It's putting God above ourselves. Romans 1, if you have your Bibles with you, turn to Romans chapter 1, and I'm just going to start reading in verse 18. Romans chapter 1, and... Verse 18. I'm going to give you three passages today, folks. 
I would encourage you to bookmark these and go back and read them and pray over them. Romans chapter 1, verse 18, for the wrath of God, I thought you said you were going to talk about sex. That's right. And I'm going to talk about the fact that sex is God. See, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. The reality is that there are many of us that walk around when we leave this church until we get back here next Sunday and we suppress the truth of this owner's manual. We know what it says, yet we disagree with it. So we listen to everyone else that that contradicts this that tells us what we want to hear, that explains it to us in 2021 rationale. Verse 19, For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. Folks, if you've got a relative, if you've got a neighbor, if you've got a friend that tells you that they don't believe in God, they are without excuse. And when they stand before God one day, they can't blame. When they stand before God, they can't say, well, Ronnie didn't live a very good life. They can't say that my mom or my dad. They can't say that my brother or my sister. They can't say, well, what about Ravi Zacharias? They're without excuse. Verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. Folks, this is talking about us. This is talking about churchgoers. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Verse 24. Therefore, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Verse 25, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creator rather than the creature, rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. I think that's pretty clear there. But if that's not clear enough, verse 27, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with the passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Now, you know, as the church, we see that and we think that that is just talking about homosexuality. Folks, that is talking about sexual immorality. And those that are involved in it will receive in themselves the due penalty for their error. Payday is coming. The wrath of God has been stirred up. And let me just tell you this, that it's not God's goal for you to be sexually pure, but to get you to live like a Christian, to get you to live like Christ. See, you you look at it backwards. If you lived like Christ, you wouldn't struggle with this. But because you don't. And, and folks, I know what it looks like. You read God's word for about 30 seconds, and you think that that's going to solve your problem when you think about it for 23 hours a day. You close the owner's manual. And you've changed what the owner's manual says. And you crossed out some lines and you wrote in what you want it to say. Every one of those forbidden sexual activities that I've already mentioned to you that you have on your note taker, every one of those is a form of idolatry. This started out the wrath of God. There are two types. There is the passive wrath of God and those that are living openly, sexually immoral lifestyles, they are bringing to themselves the passive wrath of God. Because you did it and God didn't strike you down with lightning doesn't make it less wrong. 
Just because you did it and you didn't get caught doesn't make it okay. Because the passive wrath of God is on you. I think I remember it in the 80s. HIV. And oh no, don't, don't you dare say that that was because of a homosexual lifestyle. Although all of the evidence, we want to talk about science until science contradicts what we want. And yet all the science says that's why that that disease was propagated. Oh, that wasn't God's, I, I don't know what you want to call it, but the reality is this, whether you want to read God's word or you want to listen to the science journals, but those who um, participated in that activity found themselves with that disease. If you want to hear about the act of wrath of God, join us on July 25th as I begin a new series called The Beginning of the End Times. That's what the act of wrath of God will look like. Oh, it's funny. We see, we think we have a bad day, and we're like, oh, it couldn't get any worse. Trust me, it could get worse. You thought it couldn't get worse in 2020. Folks, you ain't seen nothing yet. I laughed when people says, did you think that this is what it's talking about in Revelation? No! It's not even close. There's one that said, one vial of God's wrath will destroy one-third of humanity. Not threaten to destroy one-third of humanity. Not scare you into thinking that it's going to destroy one-third of humanity, but destroy one-third of humanity. That means that one out of every three people you know will be killed by it. Not 99.9% chance that you don't have a lethal interaction with it. I won't say any names. So either you believe that sex is God, and I know that you don't proclaim that. I know that you don't have badges that say that, but your life is living it. While you may keep your lips silent, all of your actions say that sex is God in your life. If you were to reveal your internet history, that would say that sex is your God. The second viewpoint on sex is this. Sex is gross. You go to Genesis chapter 1, and as God created in the first day, at the end of that day, he said, and it was good. And every day he repeated, and it was good. But after he created man and woman, he said, it was very good. Why? Because man and woman were created in the image of God. Not dogs. I love dogs. Not cats, not so much. Not horses. But will they be in heaven? I don't know. I know I'm going to be riding one. But when God created man and woman, he said it was very good. And it didn't take Satan long to take that and twist it. And he took it from being very good to being evil. The whole reason why this earth was destroyed by a flood and only Noah and his family were saved, I believe, was because of sexual immorality that was happening. Come back on July 25th and I'll explain that. Stephen Arterburn said that sexual pleasure is one of the most intense experiences that we can um, have as a human. And because of that, it results in addiction. The only thing close to it is heroin. Now, I've never had heroin. But I've seen what it does when someone gets addicted to it. And I'm here to tell you that sexual immorality, when you're addicted to it, is the same destructive thing in your life. And I just want to tell you, if you are an abuse victim here, if you have been raped by a father and uncle, if you have been abused by somebody in power, you may look at sex as gross. And everything that life has thrown at you validates that. 
but I want you to understand that it doesn't have to be. That's not the way God created it. That's not what God had designed. And I'm here to tell you that the owner's manual says that you can overcome that through Christ. You try to overcome it by yourself, through programs, it won't work, but through Christ, we can do all things. Within the parameters that God has placed on sex, we are free to enjoy sex with one another. You see, God is not a prude. Sex is not dirty. It's a wonderful creation that has been designed by God, and he's given it to us for our pleasure. But what he said is, do it my way. The third viewpoint is this. And this is the one that I think that as a Christ follower we should have, and that is sex is a gift. It is a gift, not a weapon. Shame on any married couple that where one partner uses sex against the other. That is not what God designed for either of you. It is a gift that is not to be regifted. You don't take it outside of the sanctity of marriage. And it is a gift that is not to be leveraged to get what you want when you want it. Sex and marriage looks like this. When we trust God and we accept the restrictions that he has placed upon our sexual practices, we can enthusiastically pursue sexual fun and fulfillment in marriage. And here's what I would tell you, that those of you who are struggling with this is because you never reach the fulfillment stage of sex. So since you don't find that in the marriage, you go outside of your marriage, but you don't find it out there either. And since you don't find it out there, you go online. You don't find it online. And then you start going down that list of forbidden acts. And, and, and what you find out is that for a season, for a short period of time, you experience the pleasure that comes with that, but then you also experience the passive wrath of God on your life. When it comes to sex and marriage, men... Their sex drive peaks at the age of 20 and women is at 40. And here's the shame of it. When the, the woman is 40, she hasn't caught up to the guy as he's declined for 20 years. You see, women want more communication. They want that emotional connection. And men, listen to me closely. When you come home and your wife wants to communicate and talk, and you say things like this, I don't feel like talking. I have a low talk need. I have a low talk drive. I'm praying about it. I wish I wanted to talk more. I want to talk more. Men, here's what I would tell you is you need to suck it up and talk. That's what you are there for in that relationship. You need to learn how to stop gaming. You need to learn how to turn off every other distraction. You need to chain yourself to the counter and listen to your wife. Now, I'm not going to go to that extreme and flip the script on this one, but ladies, you could do it for me, can't you? And what happens is most couples end up sexually frustrated. Now, now I, I'm not talking about outside of. I'm not talking about that list. I'm not talking about the adulterers. I'm not talking about those that are involved in all of those other heinous types of sexual sin. I'm talking about in the marriage relationship where the fence has been drawn by God. The owner's manual is clear about it. Two top reasons for divorce, sex and money. And I believe that it's neither of those. I think it's communication about sex and money. And I would tell you that the reason why in your marriage relationship right now, that if you are sexually frustrated, it's because you're not communicating. You're not talking to each other. And what's crazy is, see, that's why it made the, the hit list for taboo. 
See, this is something we don't talk about. Certainly pastors don't get up here and talk about it like this. How many young preacher guys want to be here today, standing up here? I know one guy that doesn't. But we need to hear it. And I want you to know that sex and marriage, you need to work on your communication. Men, you need to, oh, you want to talk about that, don't you? Ladies, you need to be willing to talk about that. You need to be willing to have a conversation. Because here's what happened. Is that girl he meets at, on the job, she'll talk about it. And she'll convince him that it's going to be a whole lot better. And while it's going on, he'll believe that it was a whole lot better. And then he'll feel just like Amnon did after he raped his sister, and he'll have hatred. He'll hate himself. He'll come home, and he'll hate on you. Hebrews 13, 4 says these words. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. What is it that our community and our culture is telling us is not very important anymore? Marriage. The greatest marriage in the world are two committed servants in love, committed to serve each other. Maybe I should take that word serve away, committed to please each other. Folks, it's in the owner's manual. I'm not going to turn this into a workshop, but it tells us exactly how. And Hebrews 13.4 finishes with this, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Folks, don't you think for a second. Not for one second that you are immune to what God says will happen. You put sugar in a gas tank, what's going to happen to that engine, man? When you do things against the owner's manual, you can get away with it. It's your car. You do it the way you want to do it. Live like you want to live. You're going to destroy that car. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. This is the second passage. I, I would highly encourage you that you read this later again. And I would read this in a, in a prayer fashion asking God how he can speak to you. Because here's what happens. If we read verse 22, it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Matter of fact, that's probably the most number one quoted verse by men. In and out of the church. But men fail to read verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. But the reason why he says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, is because that's one of the most hard, most difficult things for women to do. Not that, that the man shouldn't submit to the wife, but it's harder for the wife to submit to the husband. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. 24, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything. In what you feel like, no. In what sounds good, no. In everything. Ladies, I, I'm here to tell you that your household is not blessed because you don't submit. These are not Ronnie's words. This is God's word, okay? I'm just explaining what he said there. And here's what you'll find out is, ladies, that when you submit to your husband, when your husband makes foolish decisions, somehow God will bless that. Carrie and I, driving down the road, the, the hood starts popping up. And she says, you think that thing's going to fly up? And I said, no, and I started to fill in the rest of that thought, and the hood was wrapped up around the windshield. Who was wrong in that situation? Carrie has never said, don't you remember? She's never done this to me. You know my wife. She's, 
as closest to an angel as God put down here on earth. And she has never, ever put that back in my face when I've made another one of those. She's never said, you remember the Ford Escort with the ice blue interior and the hood? She's never done that. I don't know how, but, you know, she goes, okay. And I'm thinking maybe she prays, God, get them. And then God takes me out to the woodshed. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way husbands shall love their wives, as their own bodies. See, when he told us to love our wives like Christ loved the church, I don't think most guys got it. They're like, Argh. but here, in the same way, husbands love your wives as their own bodies. I remember the dean of men at the Bible college I went to out of high school. Uh, his theory was this anytime he spent money on himself, he spent money on his wife. He went and bought a new watch, he found something, he didn't go buy her a new watch. He didn't buy his and her. He found something of the same value that his wife would appreciate, and he got that for her. Went and bought himself a nice new set of golf clubs. He went and got his wife. You see, guys, that changes everything, doesn't it? See, somehow we can afford to spend money on the things that we want, but when it comes to the things that our wives would really love to have, we have a budget. Babe, I'd love to get that for you, but we can't afford that. Well, we couldn't afford that either, but it's sitting in the garage. We couldn't afford that, but you know what? I see you swing them on the golf course. We couldn't afford that, but. And I think what God's saying is if you can't afford two of them, don't buy one for yourself, men. Number 20, verse 29, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Folks, the whole reason why that list of forbidden sexual activities is because it violates that very thing that God said was very good, and that was he created Adam and Eve in the likeness of Christ so that the two would become one. This is throughout all of Scripture. We have the Trinity of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and yet they are one. It blows your mind if you think about that long enough. But that's exactly what happens. See, here's the problem. You think two people come together, and then that makes three. That's why you tell your kids don't have sex, because they might get pregnant. You're afraid of number three. And what the Bible says is have sex so that you can be one like the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then what do we do? We twist it. See, I'm not getting my needs met, and so we'll go outside of God's parameter. And guess what happens there? You don't get your needs met there either. And then you go and you try it 10, 20 different ways with 10, 20 different people, and you come back unfulfilled. And you find out what Moses said. And, and it, Moses said this. He refused to experience the pleasures of sin for a season. See, you all sometimes, you're, you're still in the season of pleasure of your sin. But there's payday someday. You will pay the price. Matter of fact, I would argue this with you adults that are sexually immoral. That the payment is probably going to be less what you pay and what your children pay. Fathers, husbands, your sexual immorality, you've learned to adjust and live within those what you can get away with. Your son hasn't, and it's probably going to destroy him. Moms, you put up with sex with multiple partners, thinking that you've got to do that to survive, and your daughters are watching you. And see, our kids, they don't stop where we stop. They go a little further in everything, everything. 
Be careful. Verse 31, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying it refers to Christ in the church. Listen, verse 33, however, let each of one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. There's the, the magic right there. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. The most, uh, uh, scientists will tell you this. What men want more than anything else in life is respect. They want a wife that believes they can do it. Even when we've proven 10 times before that we can't. See, before we got married, we had somebody that, that, that believed we could do it. Who was that? Mom. Mom. Boy, you know, mom was my biggest cheerleader. You know who my biggest cheerleader is today and has been for the last 30 years? Carrie Tabor. There's some times where she's cheering me on and I'm like, you don't understand. I'm not that good. Wives, cheer your husbands on. God will bless that. So what now? Uh-oh. How do I land this plane? I'm up there, no seat belts, no parachutes. Here's what I want you to know. Teenagers, wait. Wait. Wait until you get married. Oh, what do you know? You're just a pastor, old fuddy-duddy. I got the owner's manual. I've read it. I, I, I can line you up with a bunch of men and women who, who violated it and regret it. Wait. If, you're, if you've gotten through high school, gotten through college, and you find yourself single, wait a little longer. Just a little bit longer. Maybe you got married and, and you find yourself single again. Oh, wait again. If you're married, serve one another. Wives, respect your husbands. Husbands, love your wife. And if you're married for the fourth time, listen, do not fall victim to Einstein's theory of insanity that says if you continue to do the same thing and get a different result. Folks, if you're, if you're on your fourth marriage, it doesn't make you a bad person. It means you just tried it the wrong way or with the wrong person. Why don't you open up the owner's manual and see what it says? Don't cheat until you get married and think that that's not going to affect you. See, here's what we need to learn how to do, and that is let God meet our needs. You will never find sexual fulfillment outside of God's instructions, and that's in the marriage relationship. You can twist it, you can change it, you can do anything you want. Legalize it, I don't care what you do. You'll never find the fulfillment that you want, that your body craves for, that your soul desires outside of God's instructions. And instead, you just hear what Moses, or I'm sorry, uh, yes, what Moses talked about when he said he called it the pleasures of sin for a season. And I want you guys to understand this, that in God's economy, in your sex life, it just works. Doesn't make sense but it works. I don't want to wait. Don't then. But you're going to experience the passive wrath of God. And you're going to come crying to me. And, and I'm going to love you through it, folks. But I'm giving you what the instruction manual says. See, most of you need to realize that your struggle with sexual sin is not a physical issue. It's a spiritual issue. And you need to fight it. The Bible tells us that the, the battle that we fight is not of this body, and it's not against people. It, it's against spirituality. Last passage I want you to turn to is in the book of John, chapter 8. John, chapter 8. And I'm going to just read you a little story here, and, and then I'm going to give you some application, and then I'm going to close. In verse 1 says, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. What time of day is it? Early in the morning. 
The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. At what time of day? Early in the morning. They just pulled, pulled her out of the, the house. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? Now why would they go ask Jesus? What The law says this, what do you got to say? Because Jesus had been turning, Jesus said it this way, they had started teaching the traditions of men as the doctrine of God. And so here they took a doctrine, something that was very clear, and now they want to question Jesus and and try to get Jesus to to change it and, and mess up. They said this to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger in the ground, And they continued to ask him, and he stood up and he said, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and he said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Folks, I'm here to tell you that God loves you so much, he will take you just as you are. I don't care what you've lived like up until this morning. I don't care how bad, I don't care how many of those, you know, things on that list that you could cross off that you've done. God loves you so much that he will take you just like you are. But let me... Let me give you the rest of that story. But he loves you too much to leave you that way. You see, you've got a God who loves you, and he will change you. But somehow, we've taken his word and we've twisted it. And we, we want him to change us in how we speak to other people, but not our sex life. We want him to change us in how we behave, but not with what we do when the door is closed. We want the owner's manual except for when we don't want the owner's manual. Jesus gave us the example of how to live out Galatians 6.1. And I want you all to know that Crossroads Church is a Galatians 6.1 church. It says, brothers, if one be overtaken in a spiritual fault, restore them in the spirit of meekness. Folks, I've talked to many of you. I know. I know the sexual immorality that's inside this building right now. And we will respond the way Jesus responded with this young lady. And our answer is very clear. Go and sin no more. But, but here's the, the thing. What do you think that woman did? I think she went and changed her life. I remember another encounter that Jesus had with a woman. And, and she said, go get your husband. She goes, well, let me tell you about something. Um, and then Jesus prophesied. He said, I know, you've been married five times, and the guy that you live with now ain't even your husband. Uh Uh-oh, who's been reading my email? That woman went away changed. How do I know? How do I know she was changed? Because she brought the whole entire village. And I'm, I'm here to tell you, there's a difference in your life when you get changed. You can't keep doing it the way you've been doing it. You gotta be willing to give it up. And and, and let me tell you, let's stay in John chapter 8. Let's go to verse 31. And so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And, And here's a powerful verse, folks. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you will listen, if you will read this, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But what happens if I read this and I don't change my life? Stay with me. Here's what it says. Jesus answered them, verse 34, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. And I want you to know that there are many of you in this room today. There are many of you that are watching online, and you know what you're supposed to do, and you refuse to do it. And i got to tell you that I question your salvation. I don't care if you do or not, but as your pastor, I do. I'm worried about you. 
I'm worried that one day when I'm in heaven, you won't be. Why? So that you could have your pleasures for a season. Is it worth it? Today it is. In the season it is. It, it feels good. But one day, you're going to end in a place where the fire doesn't die. And you're going to remember these words. This Sunday, on June 13th, the Holy Spirit is beating you up right now, and you better not leave this building if you don't get that resolved, because I don't know if you'll make it home. But God said this time and time again, that my spirit will not always strive with man. He said this before he sent the flood, and he, he numbered the days, 120 days, 20 years. 120 years later, it started raining. And only one family got into that ark. You don't have to listen to the word I said today. You listen to what the Holy Spirit's saying to you. Because he's a whole lot harder than I am. Guys, you can't, you, you can't break the owner's manual and expect to get away scot-free. Verse 36 in John chapter 8. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And if you are here within the sound of my voice, if you are watching this and you are not free from sexual immorality, there's something that's missing. Get it right. Eternity is too long for you to be wrong on this. When you... Last week, Jesus said these words. It's better for you to enter into life without a hand, without a foot, with an eye missing than for you to spend eternity burning in hell. I know a lot of preachers don't preach that four-letter word. But folks, hell is our destination if we die in our sins. Romans 10 says it this way, that if you believe in your heart, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he died for your sins, and that God brought him back from the dead, you will be saved. The problem with that is that I believe that, but you believe it like the demons believed in Jesus. You believe it, but it doesn't change you. Don't miss out. Don't miss out on eternity. Guys, it's not worth it. And you know I'm right because you hate it after you're done. Men, join me tomorrow night at 7 o'clock right here. And I'm really taking the filter off. Ladies, what time on Tuesday? 6.30. 6.30. I'm going to cut Carrie loose. You owe it to yourself. You owe it to yourself. Guys, I'm going to love you. I'm going to Galatians 6-1 all over you. But one day, Galatians 6-1 ain't going to keep you out of hell. Romans 10, 8, 9 will. And what it says is, if you've been set free, you will be free. If you are still in the bondage of sexual sin, folks, You better question your salvation. Because whatever you're getting out of the sex on this side ain't going to be worth it. It ain't even worth it on this side. It's only for a season. Shoot, you guys, you find the best woman, and three months later, she's not. And you're going to spend eternity in hell because of that. I know you guys don't know whether to say amen or oh me. I love you. I hate what Satan has done to the gift that God has given us. But what I hate more is that we're listening to Satan's message over God's. Will you stand up and join me in prayer?
And, and let me just tell you this. Go, come on up, worship team. There's decision cards. Next week, we're baptizing. Folks, if, if, you, if you're doubting your salvation, you need to get it resolved today. I'm going to be right up here. You need to get that fixed. Because next week, I want you to be getting wet. I want you getting baptized. I, I, let, let, let's quit playing the game. Who want, if you want to be free, be free indeed. The truth shall set you free. And the truth is this. If you're living in sin, you're going to die in sin, and you're going to spend eternity in hell. I don't care how nice everybody else is to you about it. God's passive wrath is nothing like his active wrath. And his active wrath is coming upon all mankind when you stop breathing. Are you ready for that time? You better be. Let's pray. God, Lord, you have heard the message. God, you've given the message to me. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will not stop. God, that no one in the sound of my voice will spend eternity in hell because of a pleasure that their body experienced. God, they know better, and I pray that their pride would be removed, that they would, that they would accept the freedom that comes through you. Holy Spirit, please convict. In Jesus' name. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life, and we would love to continue with you on that journey. You see, it's our mission to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ who walk by faith and not by sight. 